Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com/fool. That's bloom with 3 o's. 401k.com/fool. It's Thursday, June 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, back from the other side of the planet, from Motley Fool Asset Management, it's Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Come on, Motley Fool Asset Management isn't on the other side of the planet. Uh, yeah, I guess the way I, I set mean, that up. Yeah, yeah, Motley Fool we're Asset just Management. Just a couple floors below you, right? But you just got back from the other side of the planet. Yes. Let me, let me just set expectations really low for this episode. Okay. <laughs> Long-time listeners already had low expectations. They already did. But for any new listeners, uh, Bill just got back uh, from a family trip to Australia and New Zealand, and the sleep deprivation is pretty high. It's running pretty high. Because you you got to sleep at about about four in the morning, four thirty in the morning. Yeah, fantastic. This is going to be great. Uh, we're going to talk about retail. So my excuses are in. For exactly. The, rest of the show already. With the expectations, uh, with the bar set sufficiently and appropriately low, let's begin. We've got retail. We've got a spinoff in the world of sports business. Let's start with the retail. Um, Bed Bath & Beyond shareholders are having a bad day, and I think the only thing they have going for them is that they are not also shareholders of Pier 1 Imports. Hopefully. Hopefully not. Hopefully. Uh, both of those retailers reporting first quarter results. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond's revenue was about what analysts were expecting, but their same-store sales came in low. And I mean, in, ter- in terms of same-store sales, here's how bad it was for Pier 1 Imports. Analysts were expecting a same-store sale decline of nearly 8%. And it was even worse than that. Yeah, Pier 1 Imports is uh, really, it's been a long and difficult road for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, but uh, especially, it's the problems are increasing. And the most recent report was one of the worst in a long line of awful reports um, showing decreased same store sales. It's, of course, uh, when you think, what, what do you think of when you think of Pier One Imports? Honestly, one of the things I think about is uh, the movie The Blues Brothers. Yeah, um, where uh, there's the great scene where they're they're uh, running the car through the mall and uh, uh, making comments on different stores as they're driving through the mall. And uh, yeah, one of the one of them is like, "Hey, Pier One Imports." Yeah, and then they and a couple of the. Uh, cop cars chasing them drive right through Pier One Imports and destroy the the front. It's a perfect metaphor for uh, <laughs> this company and especially what's going on today. And I, I would like to think that somebody out there, you know, in the visual media, would be having a clip of that out there. Contact your friends at CNBC. You got a few. They would totally run with this. Uh, maybe they have, but I will. I, I'm actually going to ping someone at CNBC should, about though. this, and then I want credit, okay? Because I'm the one that brought this clip up to you. I can't. I can't arrange for that. Well, you could take credit. I. I don't think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it's it's just another another uh, chapter in the story of uh, the problems for malls and the problems for. Retailers that don't have any kind of a moat, um, and Pier One is is kind of I don't really know exactly why somebody walks into Pier One. Um, I can understand if they're like looking for an idea because there's a bunch of eclectic stuff there, and I'm sure 
Many people enjoy shopping there, uh, but it's not got a place that has much of a future. So, in terms of Bed Bath and Beyond, I mean, obviously, what it has in common with, with Pier One Imports, they're both sort of broadly in the in the home decor, home furnishing space. This is an increasingly tough space. It, it, I don't know if they did this by design, having their earnings come out the day, the same day as Pier One Imports, but they they really do look good by comparison. And one of the ways, and this this is just a small thing, but um, one of the reasons I like to go through conference call transcripts is to try and pick up sort of the tone. You know, what are what is management talking about? And in the case of Pier One Imports, um, one of the things that came across was denial. <laughs> because just in terms of uh, any attempt at an e-commerce strategy, any attempt at trying to sell stuff online, um, it's not. Here's the thing: it's not that Pier One or Bed Bath and Beyond produce bad stuff. I, I would argue that there's there's quality stuff being produced by both of these companies. They're just doing a really poor job. Especially in the case of Pier One, of actually getting people to buy it, and so Pier One's management can talk all they want, about, and presumably they will continue to talk all they want about how um, we're an omni-channel business. That was one of the things that came up on the call. We're we're an omni-channel, and when analysts were asking them, you know, could you break out for us the online sale? No, we're not going to do that because we're an we're, all the channels are important. Okay. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, if they've got any future, then I suppose it would come from having a better online presence because uh, Pier One, it, based as it is, largely in, in malls, uh, through which sometimes uh, you know felons, sometimes police cars are driving. Um, and this is one of the reasons I think that people are not going to malls as much, is the, the danger of being hit you by, think so? by vehicles, even though the based boot- upon their uh, movie watching. We are referencing a movie that's nearly forty years old, though. Yeah, I watched it the other day on, okay. <laughs> on the flight back from from New Zealand, which is the only reason that I remember the Pier One uh, segment of that great car chase. You know how many cars were were destroyed in that making of that film? Uh, didn't it set a record? It uh, did. I'm, I'm going to say um, over a hundred. One hundred and three. You are correct. Wow. Sir. And the record was broken by um, Blues Brothers two thousand. Oh, <laughs> which destroyed one hundred and four. That but nobody saw that movie, so how would you know? Yeah, no. Is it okay if I cut in for one second, guys? Absolutely. <laughs> wait, wait, we're talking business here. Blues Brothers is my favorite movie of all time. Is it really? Yeah. I love that film. Yeah. Do you also, uh, when you hear of Pier One Imports, do you also uh, think of the Blues Brothers and sort of, uh, I think it's Elwood Blues, just like, you know, with that Chicago twang? Pier One Imports. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Uh, I actually, uh, when I think of Pier One Imports, I think of boredom. Because, because my mom used to take me and my brother there when she wanted to go shopping when we were kids, and if you're a kid, it's the most boring place on earth. So, ever since I was like nine years old, I don't think I've set in set foot in a pier and import. Certainly not as an adult willingly. I don't need a candelabra, mom. What? <laughs> when I, when this, I, these tchotchkes are not going in my room. Whatever else we talk about for the rest of this episode, for anyone who's still listening, let's be clear. The pull quote for this episode is, when I think of Pier 1 imports, I think of boredom. Um, By the way, and this is making some headlines sort of broadly in the retail space, uh, BJ's Wholesale had its IPO today. Yes. Um, So, this is a company that 
was public, was taken private, um, presumably got spun back out of the public market so that the private equity folks could make a little bit of money off of that. Um, other than those people getting their money, um, because the stock is up about 25% off of its IPO price, um, is there any reason investors should be looking at BJ's Wholesale as, as a company in what is increasingly a a tough retail environment. All right, I'll, I'll try to come up with the bull case. Uh, it's in the you know the wholesale club uh, space, and it's uh, more of a you know second line player in that, certainly to Costco and, and Sam's Club. Uh, but it at least is a space that has some health to it, unlike the your pure mall based retailers, which really is as a group. Uh, look sort of disastrous, and even excluding the, the cars its incidents. Um, but that is that is what I would come up with. And you may have, uh, if you're an institutional investor, sort of a mandate to uh, follow benchmarks in terms of your ownership of retail. And you may find that owning uh, BJ's uh, Wholesale Club is a better option than some of the mall-based Companies that you already own. Um, so, if you're, there are a lot of sellers today of Pier One uh, and also uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, and that money may, at certain, you know, at the margins, have mandates to stay in retail. BJ's is a, a more viable uh, option at the moment. Seemingly, uh, I haven't looked at the numbers since it's, uh, you know, IPO'd, uh, but it was taken out. A lot of debt put on it. Cleaned up, you know, the private uh, private uh, equity probably shut down some things, and and so it's it spruced up, but it's got a lot of debt now. So you know, what's the equity worth? It's probably uh, an interesting risk equation uh, because of of the debt and and the way things could go. Uh, but I, I think I'd I would rather be there than in Pier One or Bed Bath and Beyond, and so that's sort of the story of why it's up today. It, it looks better by comparison to what it is most closely compared to, other than Costco. It's not going to look good compared to Costco because Costco is still a you know world class player. Let's move on to the world of sports business. Madison Square Garden, um, not just a famous sports arena in New York City, also a public company. And shares of Madison Square Garden are up 10% today on the news that the, the business is considering spinning off because Madison Square Garden owns not just the arena, it owns the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. And it is looking at spinning off those two teams. Um, right now, I think the market cap of Madison Square Garden is around seven billion. And just as a point of comparison, uh, when the Los Angeles Clippers were recently purchased uh, two or three years ago, I guess it was by Steve Ballmer, um, he paid about two billion dollars for the Los Angeles Clippers. I have to believe that the New York Knicks, despite how badly that team has played over the last well, almost forever, um, over the last 20 years or so, uh, that alone has got to be worth $2 billion, don't you think? Well, I'm reading the uh, Forbes article today on this, and Forbes uh, values all, makes an attempt at valuing because most of this information is uh, private, but they've got their methodologies and uh, they've, they list sort of all the 
franchises and all the sports and and their estimates of the valuations, and they've got the Knicks at three point six billion. So that's actually the sixth most valuable sixth most valuable uh, sports franchise in the world, according wow. according to Forbes, and the most valuable in the NBA. Uh, which may come as a surprise. Uh, of course, the, the Knicks do have uh, a good history. If you just forget about the last 30 years, um, it's not a bad history. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, just imagine what the team would be worth if they had a winning record, or an owner who was not, you know, well, they, they, a terrible they may, owner. They may have lots of owners uh, in in the near future, and the and the uh, Rangers are also the most valuable. At least in the estimation of Forbes, uh, NHL franchise uh, at 1.5. So you've got about five billion dollars uh, of sports franchise valuations in this company. Uh, I think the company's got another billion dollars in cash. Um, so uh, splitting it apart may uh, actually achieve the proverbial unlocking of value. Would you, if the if the New York Yankees went public, would you want to be an owner of them? I'm assuming you'd want to be an owner just because you're a fan of the Yankees, and it's like, oh yeah, I'll buy a couple of shares just because that's a fun thing to do. But would you want to own shares of of the New York Yankees as an investor? Would you buy it thinking this is going to be a market beating investment over time? Because I can absolutely see people, and the first person who came to mind, by the way, was Christine Hargis, one of the hosts of our Industry Focus podcast. She's a huge New York Rangers fan. So I can absolutely see people like Christine, who are fans of one or both of these teams, saying, Yeah, I'll buy a couple of shares. What I'm not sure is, would anyone buy shares of these two teams with an eye towards it being a market beating investment? Well, certainly, owning sports franchises uh, has generally been a good investment over the last couple of decades. Uh, the valuations have gone up dramatically. That's largely a reflection of the pricing power that they have uh, and the ability to provide the kind of TV entertainment that people actually watch live, which is uh, you know a less and less available resource for the networks that are based around you know uh, uh, any kind of provision where you're not cutting your cord, and so they're a major player in uh, you know cable TV, and so that that's where a lot of the value comes from, and. I would love to have been a partial owner of the Yankees for the last 20, 25 years, uh, just on an economic basis. Now, going forward, the problem with uh, being an owner is that the franchises are not always run to maximize profit. So, whether this one will be uh, or not, I can't, I can't really say. But it's the valuations have improved dramatically during the ownership by the Dolans. Quick shout out to Bloom for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Do you have a four hundred one k? Do you remember that first day at work when you're filling out the paperwork and how frustrating it was deciding on what to invest in without professional help? Well, now there's a better way to grow your four hundred one k, and that's with Bloom. With three O's. Bloom is a simple, smart, affordable way to grow your 401k. You go online to bloom401k.com slash fool and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps and then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals 
while minimizing hidden investment fees. Getting your investments right doesn't have to be hard or painful or time-consuming. Plume only takes five minutes, and then your retirement is set until you cancel, and they link to your existing 401k so you don't have to move your money, which is such a pain in the butt. It's just exhausting to even think about. Bloom is so simple that the hardest thing about Bloom is remembering that there are three O's in the name. So don't forget that. Go to bloom401k.com/fool. Enter the promo code fool for your first month free, and see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement. I know you're anxious to leave this studio and and probably go take a nap uh, because you're. Terribly sleep deprived from your trip to Australia and New Zealand. But how was your trip? And I know I know this was not a working trip. This was a family vacation. But I'm curious if there were any uh, business observations you made uh, during your time off. No, but uh, <laughs> one thing that I'll mention is, and it's a nice uh, metaphor. Uh, I didn't go to Australia. And you didn't? No. I thought you did. No. It was just New Zealand. Just New Zealand. Oh, okay. But. People think, oh, New Zealand, that's that thing that's like a couple miles off the coast of Australia. It's it's like a four-hour flight from Australia, and there's a rivalry there because New Zealand, uh, uh, one, likes to champion that it uh, always wins the rugby games against Australia, and the All Blacks are their their national team and and uh, beloved, and uh, you know they they are a smaller item than Australia. So there's that type of rivalry going on but also the confusion that like uh, New Zealand is is just like part of Australia right that sort of uh, an assumption that if you're going to New Zealand you would also go to Australia which is not not really the case it's if you're in New Zealand it's it's kind of like well I'll swing by Vegas while I'm <laughs> here on the East Coast right yeah <laughs> I have actually run into that a couple of times in my life just talking with people from outside the United States and and thinking, you know, sort of along those lines. Not quite. Hey, I'm a, if if I'm on the East Coast, I can just swing by Vegas. But it's more it's more along the lines of the proximity between Washington D.C. and Boston. It's like those are close, aren't they? Actually, not not really. Um, you know, it would involve uh, a flight or a, a a drive of a good probably eight to ten hours or so. My business uh, observation: it, I have initiated coverage on New Zealand with, really? a, with a strong buy. Strong buy on New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Does the tourism board know about this? We'll let them know. You, you know, maybe they could buy a little uh, time on your show. You know what? Right now they're getting they're getting it for free, so that's fine. It's a, what what am I doing uh, if I'm going to New Zealand? Well, you're uh, so you got the North Island and you got the South Island, and the South Island is uh, mountainous and incredibly beautiful, and the whole thing is is gotten a lot of business from the Lord of the Rings movies, which you refuse to watch, both the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, right? And that's been a tremendous uh, boom for uh, for New Zealand in terms of tourism because they're great. Uh, ads really for how beautiful the country is. Isn't there going to be uh, a Netflix series about uh, some sort of Hobbit spinoff? Something I, I don't know. I don't know. But also, if you want to actually see Hobbits, you have to go to New Zealand because that's the only place that they live that, currently. Right. That's where they're. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we visited the Hobbiton, the uh, set where the Hobbit movie, uh, the Shire parts were were uh, filmed. And it looks uh, looks perfect. Did you pick up any sense from uh, 
locals that you spoke with that they're a little over the whole Hobbit thing? No. 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 They're embracing it with both arms. I mean, largely, I was dealing with people in the tourism industry. Sure. Because I was a tourist, and I I wasn't disguised as anything else. Uh, So, yeah, people in the tourism industry are pretty happy uh, that one of the choices on the Air New Zealand flight uh, for your for your watching, not just the Blues Brothers, but also all six of the movies uh, are, are available. I think on every flight and uh, to watch. They made that many movies. Well, the three Lord of the Rings, yeah. the three Hobbit movies. There were three, all Hobbit. of which are still in front of you. You get to the joy of watching all of them. There were three Hobbit movies. Yeah, it was a little bit overkill. Okay, um, but you know what? Like you said, I mean. Uh, Look, anytime someone is looking to make a movie, there are numerous costs involved. Um, location costs are, are probably high on that list. And if you're making a movie about hobbits, you might as well be in the place where hobbits actually exist. Right, because so you makes... don't have to fly them over. Right. You know, they're all right there. You're saving money. And you also, you know, the dragons and stuff. Right. Um, uh, so this weekend on Motley Fool Money, uh, David Gardner uh, is going to be the guest, and um, one of the things we talked about because uh, I taped this interview uh, the other day is the 25th anniversary of the Motley Fool. Yes, which comes this weekend um, because it was 25 years ago this weekend that uh, David and, and Tom and their friend Eric Rideholm were putting the finishing touches on the first newsletter. And putting it in the mail and sending it out to folks, and and that's that's where all of this began. Um, uh, and in celebration of the 25th anniversary uh, of the Motley Fool, I'm happy to announce um, a 25% sale at our podcast swag shop for the entire month, starting now through the end of July. Wow! Yes. Wow. Everything. Coffee mugs, ball caps, hoodies, t-shirts, everything's 25% off from now through the end of July. Shop.fool.com. There are those who were saying that the stuff was already so cheap, you couldn't afford not to buy it. Uh, I think Now the, what? I think the word was inexpensive. This is quality stuff. It's not cheap. Wow. It's quality, exactly. quality merchandise. Inexpensive. Now, 25% off. Um, are you feeling how a many? How many hoodies do you have right now? Uh, besides the three that I'm wearing right now, I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, any any bit of nostalgia in uh, in your bones about the 25th anniversary? Any at any point are you sort of like thinking back on like the early days or anything like that, or are you just so sleep deprived? You're like, no, I can't I can't muster any nostalgia with my adult state. No, the early days the the early days I I'd say still still the best. I was with uh, a former Fool colleague uh, recently, whose name I could mention. There would be no harm in it, but I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, and and he, he was talking about the uh, I don't know 99 to 2001 somewhere in their era. Um, it, it still said you know best job he ever had. That's great. And he's he's a big shot uh, portfolio manager now, so he's he's making a little bit more money. Probably about twenty times as much money as he, as he was making as a internet uh, financial writer back in uh, around two thousand. But uh, those were great times. What about you? Um, I, I haven't really done the full deep dive um, nostalgia thing. I, I have little flashes of it here and there. Um, I mentioned the other day, Allison Southwick was pu- is putting together this um, uh, sort of a timeline for for people who work here at the Motley Fool, and so. 
uh, she's been going through old photos and and that sort of thing. So so seeing, um, you know, seeing people we used to work with who are no longer here, seeing people that uh, we still work with who uh, really haven't aged all that much. I'm thinking primarily of Jeff Fisher. Um, but you know, when you have a steady diet of unicorn blood, you're not going to age. That's it. look, that's just science. So, um, uh, but it, yeah, it's been it's been great to sort of like see people and and uh, re- sort of relive uh, re- relive the moments that uh, you know, both good and bad. What anniversary is this show on or coming up to? This, yeah. Uh, in terms of years, yeah. Well, it started in January of 2011, so we're we're coming up on what? There's no big fat round number. There's no big yet, fat. Not know, yet. Um, actually, there are two big fat round numbers coming. One is uh, at some point this fall, um, we're going to have our 1500th episode of Market Foolery. I don't know. Don't ask me the date. I don't know. I just know it's coming sometime before the end of the year. Assuming we're still doing the podcast. What prizes do you expect to be giving away with that? Uh, probably none. MFAM could spot you like uh, fifteen shirts or something. Fifteen uh, hats. We'll, we'll talk about that. We, we, I, I may MFAM's take you off. MFAM's always good for small numbers of, of gifts. That all you have to do is then send them out to people. Right. <laughs> so. Um, so there's that, and then the other big fat round number is um, next February is actually the 10 year anniversary for Motley Fool Money. Uh, February of 2009 was when we started doing Motley Fool Money, and we started doing it um, just as a weekly 12 to 15 minute podcast. And we said, let's try this for a month and see how this goes. And um, we're coming up on 10 years, so there you go. So the Motley Fool Global Ops Fund. Uh, just had its nine-year uh, anniversary the other day, a couple weeks ago. So we're twelve months away from the the big one zero right. on that. How the will funds and will the fund um, will the fund for the ten-year anniversary? I'm assuming the fund will just be giving away money since it has um, grown over time. I'm assuming that's what I'm assuming. We'll check with the regulators on that um, <laughs> because there may be uh, rules. That we, unlike you, have to follow. Yeah, I you mean, can you basically can make up your own rules. Well, unlike us in the regulated space, I certainly we don't. We have to answer to auditors and you know, the SEC. Yeah, fortunately, the SEC is is not wasting one second of their time on podcasts. Who is like the radio police? Or the the podcast police. I don't know that. They, I don't know that there actually is podcast police. Yeah, just wait, because uh, it's yeah. not it's not on the public airwaves. <laughs> so so uh, so there is that. Um, all right, I think we've I think we've long ago. Yeah, we've long passed the point of relevance on this episode. All right, Bill Barker, Motley Fool Asset Management. You can learn more at foolfunds.com. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And don't forget to go to shop.fool.com, 25% off from now through the end of July to celebrate The Motley Fool's 25th anniversary. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. She complicated. Katie, left me a mule to ride.